And it was the second step was the same word. My first second step was like, maybe. And that's all you got to do, man. That's all you got to do. Just say your own maybe. And it's not like something big's going to happen and then I'll change. Just make the decision. That's all. God will do the rest. And, and don't be overwhelmed by that God thing. I mean, look at me. I hated God. I thought God made me for a joke. But I found my own beautiful power of the universe. And that's waiting. One of those is waiting there for you too, man. Just start with maybe. That's all you got to do. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Shamalama ding dong. That was the voice of Paula P that you heard at the beginning of this here episode, episode number 257. And you will be hearing so much more from her in just a moment. And I know you're going to enjoy this one, but... First things first, this here episode is brought to you by Susan and Terry and Todd and Kurt and Lou and Joshua and Anonymous and Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn. What, you may ask, did Susan and Terry and Todd and Kurt and Lou and Joshua and Anonymous and Audrey and Jason and Mary Lynn do to get mentioned at the top of this here episode. Well, they went to our website, soberspeak.com, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and guess what they did next? They made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Susan and Terry and Todd and Kurt and Lou and Joshua and Anonymous, and Audrey, and Jason, and Mary Lynn, this here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Okay. One thing that I saw in the uh, super secret Facebook group this week that was posted in there that uh, caught my attention was from our friend, Mr. Rick R., who has indeed been featured on the podcast in the past. And Rick R. posted this from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's on page 164. It says, God will constantly... 
excuse me, the got kind of my throat there, didn't it? Uh, anyway, it says God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. And I know my good friend Casey always talks about waking up and the first thing he does in the morning is say, what can I do to be of service today? Anyway, and it goes on to say, the answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him, God, is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact, in capital letters, great fact for us. Once again, that's page 164 from Alcoholics Anonymous. Let me go back through that again, because I just love that passage. Rick R. once again posted this in the Super Secret Facebook group, and it says, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Once again, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 164. Thank you so much, Rick, for posting that. Just a quick note about me and my family here over the last uh, couple of weeks uh, before we get on to Paula P and introducing her. My beautiful daughter had to have ankles. She's been through the She's been through the, what do you call it, the uh, the, the wrecker, the, uh, uh, I can't remember the word right now. Anyway, she's been through a lot over the last uh, couple months. And anyway, we had to have ankle surgery on her this past, uh, a couple weeks ago now. And she's just now kind of getting over the pain of that. And God bless her. Uh, I'm just... Uh, uh, I'm just thrilled that she's getting on the other side of that. The lovely Mrs. M is finally getting on the other side of the uh, automobile accident that she had. I know a lot of you have been asking about or had been uh, uh, sending me notes about that, and I sure do appreciate that. But anyway, now on to Paula P. And Paula P says, oh, we're, we're calling this one. Maybe it can happen for you as well. Paula is from Champaign. Yes, Champaign, Illinois. <laughs> they spell it a little bit different. But anyway, she's from Champaign, Illinois, and has been sober for 43 years since the age of 17. Uh she had a few years of drinking, but it did a lot of damage in that three years. You'll see what I'm talking about when you listen to her story. Paula refers to alcohol as the, quote, liquid demon and the, quote, master liar, unquote. I just love that. I had never heard them. I had never heard it called. I don't think. Maybe I have, but I loved it when she referred to alcohol as the liquid demon. It's not a liquid demon for everyone, but for people like me and Paula, it most surely is. Anyway, um, Paula discusses her first four years of sobriety and what a magical experience that was. And then she discusses... Uh, 
some sexual abuse and trauma she experienced as a child and the journey involved in working through that. You're going to want to hear all of that. Uh, she also talks about her uh, her harrowing and yet spiritual experience of delivering her first son and all the lessons that she learned from that. She discusses something here called the trifecta method of ensuring one's sobriety. I had never heard of that before. You're going to want to listen in to see what the trifecta method is all about. So ladies and gentlemen, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. So uh, stay tuned for that after. But in, in, in the meantime... Without further ado, I present to you Paula P. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Paula P. So Paula, I am going to ask you to go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours, please. Yeah, thanks. My name is Paula P. Um, my sobriety date is October 29th, 1979, and I'm from central Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Champagne. Well, that that's got to be cool. An uh, alcoholic coming from Champagne, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's be like like I should have gotten sober in a city named Tequila or something <laughs> like that. But nonetheless, all right. So October 29th, nineteen seventy nine. Okay, so I'm sitting here looking at you. You must have come in when you were two or three years old. I was that 17. I got sober when I was seventeen. Okay, so you were 17. All right. Uh, wow. Uh, so let's let's talk. So I, I don't, have you ever been on a podcast in the past? Yeah, I thought you were that guy. <laughs> okay, so let, let's tell people about that. <laughs> Yikes. So you, the re, how we came across each other is, uh, as you know, or I have a, uh, a Facebook page, so to speak. Uh, we call it the Super Secret Facebook group. And so anyway, so, uh, somebody reached out to me through my page and they said, hey, am I scheduled to be on with you like, you know, at this time and date or whatever the case may be? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't think so. Who is this? And, and you told me. And then, and then I said, I think you may have the wrong person. And then I started looking you up on the internet because I knew that, you know, you were going to give an AA talk and you were all over the internet with your talks. And I thought, oh, well, this is an AA speaker. I said, would you like to be on mine? So you were, I guess you were reaching out to somebody else. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, it's super hard to keep these schedules, you know, all straight. And sometimes the notes I'll put in my calendar is speak on podcast. And so that's probably as basic as I put it. And then I saw it. I'm like, oh no, who, how? And so I probably <laughs> search. I don't even remember. It's a little bit embarrassing, actually. Like I was trying to, you know, hire myself to your podcast, but really, no. I'm so afraid of missing a commitment. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did not take it that way oh, at all. Really? But and I'm so glad that we were able to to hook up. And then we kind of started talking about a schedule. Then I went on vacation, and I think maybe you had to reschedule for something else. And it's been quite some time, but we finally got you on here, and I'm really glad to have you on here. And I have heard your tape for anybody who wants to look up Paula P from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, she's a, a dynamo, and you're about to uh, hear part of that. So, okay. 
October 29th, 1979. You were seven, you were, you were a uh, uh, 17 years old. So let's talk about that. Why don't you kind of start out with the, you know, what I was like, what happened, what I was like now, and I'll interject as, as I see fit. Sure, sure. So, um, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm one of those men, like many people in AA, I can tell you about alcoholism from many perspectives. Obviously I can tell you about my own. I grew up in an alcoholic home, like again, like many of us, um, I have two sons that drink and, uh, participate in outside issues like I did. Um, and so now horribly, I can tell you about that perspective as well. Um, I guess as I mean, the day before I took my first drink when I was 14 years old, I, I, if you would have been able to strap me to a lie detector test and ask me, will you ever drink? I'd have answered no, and I'd have passed the test. And I hated alcohol. I hated it. I saw, you know, what it did. I I, I saw <clears throat> what my mother <clears throat> did to, to be able to get another drink and to drink at peace. You know, she, you know, let, you know, like, you know, not sort of not unique in any way, but you know, she let some bad men in our house and, you know, and that's just how it goes. You know, you can never tell what's going to happen once people like us take our first drink, you know, all bets are off and all bets were off for her, man. And, uh, then she, uh, moved us to Nebraska. Oh my God. And, um, so she could get sober and she did get sober. And almost to the day she entered AA, I took my first drink and, uh, whew, just like her, man, again, for me, all bets were off and, I'd meant to save my mother, you know, and then instead I broke her. Right. And, uh, you know, many know the shame of a mother and a father who bring their babies up through, you know, the end of their drinking. And my mom had that. She wanted to make good on me, the, the youngest of her five kids, you know, the last one home. But I fell in love with that liquid demon, man. It, it was everything I'd ever wanted and knew I was missing and couldn't name. And all of a sudden, in, in one bottle of wine, I had it all. And, the funny thing about that booze, though, man, is it's a master liar, man. It, it's a master liar. I, I thought I was drinking to live. I thought it was making me live, and it was really killing me. You know, I, I didn't mind the idea of dying. I know that scares people into sobering up a lot of times. Man, I was hoping to stop breathing, but I could live to drink, man. I, I could hang on for that. And I was in legal trouble straight from the get, you know, as my mom was trying anything to have one live, you know, one make it. And so I was going to AA meetings since I was 14 years old, 14 in 1976 in the middle of Nebraska, if you can imagine, <laughs> in the same rooms where my poor mom was going, you know, where she got sober. And so I went in there fist raised, you know, because I knew they, she, they knew about all the stuff I was doing to her, running away, fighting, try to kill her once. That's so great. But they were kind to me. I'll never forget it. I can see it. I mean, that was 76. I've been sober almost 43 years. So, I mean, what was that? I don't even know. I'm bad at math. It was a long freaking time ago. And as I'm right here with you, I can see me walking into my very first meeting and that man crossing a whole long room with a big smile on his face. And it wasn't enough to get me sober. I don't know if that word ever fits us. We think it does. When she hurts enough, she'll get sober. No. But anyway... But I could remember the kindness and I could remember how they made me feel. And, and so when I was 17 and <clears throat> got arrested again, sent up again in another institution, um, I could remember that. And and I could stay for that. You know, I could see maybe what you guys might have. And I mean, it was the love. It was the love and kindness and glow and something in the rooms of AA that 
caught my eye, man. And because I was savage, and feral, and angry. But I could stay, man. I could stay for the love of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what it took. So that, first of all, I, I, I love, uh, I'd never heard those two terms. Uh, well, I've, I've heard Master Liar, but the liquid demon, mm. that's a great way to de- de- describe it. And so you describe yourself as savage, feral. Uh, what, what? Talk to me a little bit about that. You said you had been arrested. What was going on? I mean, what, were you acting out from everything that was going on at home? Yeah, so, you know, I'd been the youngest in my um, famous father's home in California. And, uh, and you know, we had this famous last name and a house and, you know, a gardener and a pool man and a maid and all those things that go along with that kind of dad. But inside, he was, he beat my mom all the time and other worse things. And you know, when he finally left, he took his money and his fame. And, you know, we were left with the famous last name, but we were poor and hungry. And my mom's drinking was just worse and worse and worse. And, you know, she let stuff go down and let guys in that home, you know, don't belong in the life of a little girl. And that's just, you know, she she was letting alcohol make her decisions, as did I, as did all of us. So you know, I found booze and it quelled the rage and it quelled the need to die and, um, quelled the separateness. And, uh, so I, you know, three years of hard drinking, hard other stuff, lots of arrests, a lot. You could sum up my years of my three years of drinking with, uh, arrested and baffled, you know, and, and I meant to get, so every time I went to court, the judge said, I thought you said you weren't going to drink again. I said, and you know, I shrugged my shoulders because, you know, what are you going to say when you don't have a vocabulary? But Man, I, I'd have said, me too, man. Me too. I, I, I meant it. When I said I'm not going to drink, I wasn't just trying to get out of trouble. I meant it. And, you know, so I came to Ava, rage, an organ of hate and, and blame and self-pity. But your beauty, I mean, I, I just don't know another why, way. Why the heck did I make it, man? I just kept being able to stay. And people in AA were honorable. I'd never been around honorable people. And. And I was safe and I'd never been safe. And it's all the, I mean, that has nothing to do with, I hit my bottom drinking it, but I, I, little by slowly, as my friend says, uh, and I could believe you. I could believe you when you said, I, even I could find freedom in the fourth column of the four step, even I, you know, and, and that, and that, and that you, you could quote from the big book and I could sit back there all angry, but because you're honorable, I could believe that you believe that deep down inside every man, woman, child is the fundamental idea of God. I didn't believe it. God had done me wrong. God abandoned me. You know, I was God's big joke, but you were honorable and you said it. And I could believe at least that you believed, you know, just tiny little bits at a time, you know, and that's how I, that's how I stayed. Okay. So you got into AA, you're 17. Um, let's kind of move a little bit forward from there. Did you stay in, are you in Nebraska at this time? Did I get that right? I did all my drinking in Nebraska, but I got sent up to Sioux city, Iowa to some, um, residential treatment centers, long-term juvenile treatment centers, long-term halfway house, foster home. So I really got sober in Iowa. So the first four years of my sobriety were spent in Iowa. How was that? Great. Delightful. Just take me through that time. Magical. Well, so 
one of those coincidences. So I was in legal trouble all the time. There was a federal charge waiting over my head in my drinking back in Nebraska. And um, I was starting to age out of the juvenile justice system and age up into the adult system. And, you know, the thing, you mess up one more time and we're pulling on that federal charge, charge you as an adult and you're going to big girls prison. I could run those GB joints. I didn't love them, but I could, you know, make my way. Uh, and, you know, growing up prison certainly wasn't enough to stop, make me stop drinking. You know, I didn't want it to happen, but I didn't see another way out of it. But uh, so, yeah, I got busted again and uh, I got sent up to uh, crazy enough, three and a half hours away with Sioux City, Iowa, with one of the nation's first treatment centers, one of the nation's first juvenile treatment centers, one of the nation's first halfway houses. Wow. <laughs> so I was in a group of like minded yeah. fellowship. And living, uh, staying clean and sober by doing all night spades games at the clubhouse, AA dances, conferences, thank God for conferences. And people diss the fellowship, but stop. I mean, how was I going to make it? How the heck was I going to make it, you know? And uh, floating between one and two for years like I did, but, you know, and, and but I did make it, you know, I, I did need depth and weight and foundation eventually. And you told me the way to it was through the steps in the big book. And so, yeah, you guys, I learned everything. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, I didn't, I owned a car. I'd, I'd never heard of antifreeze or oil. Um, <laughs> I I'd never heard of income tax. And I, I had just learned how to pump gas when I, and when I got sober. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, I could work a room. I mean, I could find a way to get free dinner. You know, I could find the weak person in a crowd. I could find the strong person. And I had all those kind of skills, but I did not know how to write a check or like go to work on time. You know, basic <laughs> things. <laughs> okay. So you go through those first four years. It's kind of magical uh, in a lot of respects. You know, that's interesting. My first four and a half years, I, I described as magical. And then, I don't know, I ran up against a wall and it seemed like nothing worked. But what happened after those four years? Did you end up moving out of Iowa? I did. Um, so I barely made it through high school. I had two senior years of high school. My second senior year of high school in Iowa was my first year of sobriety. And you know, but my father appeared back in my life and he offered to pay for me to go to undergrad. So who's going to take, you know, somebody, I got a four on my ACT, you know, who is going to take me? <laughs> but I found a school back in Nebraska that would take students like me. And so I moved back to a tiny town in Nebraska where I spent the next four years of my sobriety. It was wonderful. Yeah. So you, and you, so you found another like group there and another Alcoholics Anonymous. 100%, yes, I did. And uh, cause it's a college town. So, you know, there was going to be some young people, but I mean, I learned, I mean, that's I, I, mostly in those rooms. It, it was old ranchers and old railroad men and old farmers. So I learned how you mind yourself in a meeting, you know, by those old guys. And, mm -hmm. and I fell in love with the big book in the nick of time, you know, and this old guy, Pat, and his wife, Bess, and Al-Anon took me and my little sober friend under their wing, you know, mm -hmm. again, just beautiful times. Ah, oh, nice. Okay, so now you're getting to the, I guess, late 80s or so now. And uh, I mean, how are they? Did you graduate from school? I did. I, I started undergrad um, when I was four years sober. I graduated triple majored at eight years of sobriety on the um, honor roll. Um, 
fell in love with academia and I have my master's degree now. For somebody who got a four on their ACT, yes. not too bad. Huh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you're, so now you're getting out of uh, college. Uh, you have this degree, you kind of have a new life. Uh, take me through the, I, I do we have any relationships in here. What's going, usually this is kind of happening at this time. This right? is happening at this time. So, um, <laughs> so I, I mean, I had like huge lessons throughout my sobriety. And the first lesson was you can be alive and not drink. What? But <laughs> all that it was possible. The next lesson was there is a God and God is kind. That was huge. And then the next lesson, many in my short four years in undergrad, I had numerous because I was ready and the teachers appeared, you know, um, I did a, a real four step out of the big book for the first time to try to find freedom for that rage, you know, of what those men and my mom, had, you know, let happen. And cause you, again, had told me honorable AA had told me I could even me, even me could find freedom. So I started that journey and, um, yeah, I mean, and another lesson that lasted way too painfully long was like boyfriend of the week, husband material of the week. You know, it's just insane how easily I was happy to just throw away my whole psyche if I would could possibly be loved. You know, that was a huge one. I didn't get free from that till I was about maybe 10, nine or 10 years sober, nine-ish sober, I, I'd say after I moved from undergrad. So I was just at a, uh, actually at a, a speaker meeting last night, and uh, I was listening to a gentleman share, and basically what he talked about during it, it was very powerful uh, about how he had uh, experienced some, um, and I won't go into it, but some really traumatic things when he was in prison. And that their trauma from that really did not start to come out until like 20 years after he yeah. had been sober. What, did you have anything similar happen to you? Yeah. So that whole process of, um, you know, finding freedom for the, you know, sexual abuse and the physical abuse and all that takes years. It, I mean, it's a constant journey really. And, um, you know, my first freedom came out of the, my first real four step out of the big book where I realized as a grown woman that I was still allowing what had been done to me to affect who I was and how I reacted on a daily basis. So I began to see, I mean, we don't have, um, we don't, little kiddos don't set the ball rolling. You know what I mean? <laughs> we don't ca have a cause. But still now I have to be my own best friend. And by allowing that to like affect me, I was now my worst abuser. I had now been allowing it to stay active, do you know, even though I was a thousand miles away, um, longer than the abuse had even happened. And I, I can make short little shifts, you know, to, to get to freedom. But, but I still did not have um, freedom from it till I was 13 years sober um, in a, totally unrelated event that somehow God gave me and I got free. I had a whole shift. Are you able to discuss that? The, the sure. event? Yeah, sure. So, um, 
After undergrad, I moved to the East Coast to start my career. And um, uh, I met a man on the AA campus when I was about 13 years sober. And uh, we got married. We were pregnant and married just like that. And um, that's my first husband. We were together three years. And I have a husband now. We've been together 25 years. But um, so, like I said, I've done many four steps straight out of the big book, active in AA, totally, you know, connected to the God of my understanding, had had major psychic changes um, and spiritual rememberings. Um, but yet a, an event outside of me would happen and I'd react way too big. You know, a sad thing would happen and the dark weight would be way too heavy, way out of proportion. And I knew its source. And I did want freedom. I I did I hundred percent at the seventh step. I was hundred percent willing and it just wasn't gone yet. So uh, I'm 13 years sober and I'm going in to deliver our first son. And it wasn't going well. I was in labor for 36 hours and um, my son was stuck in the birth canal and I had lost too much blood. So the room and I so and I was on no drugs, you know, um, not even a block in my spine. And um, they didn't the doctors didn't know it, but the cord was wrapped around my baby's neck. So with every contraction, he was being strangled. So the room emptied of the normal doctor, the normal nurses and the normal equipment and, and filled with the specialists. And at that moment, one more time on no drugs clean and sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for 13 years. At that moment, I looked to this side of my bed and walking up to my bed was my grandmother who had died 10 years before and my friend Craig who had died of AIDS five months before. And I don't have a word for how they felt. It was something like <sighs> complete, perfect peace and joy and connection my only response in my mind was, of course, of course you're here. Of course you've always been here. And because I'd lost so much blood, I thought they were there for me, but they were not there for me. As I'm looking at them from this side of my bed, the new nurse who had, I hadn't met or anything, she says to me, Paula, I'm going to get you through this. And I turned to look at her. And when I turned back, my grandmother and Craig were gone. And she did get me through it. And I delivered my son. And the room went silent for a long, long time while they worked on him. And finally, they got him breathing. But even I could tell something was wrong. And for just a second before they put him in the special equipment to take him away, they let me hold my son. And I looked down on him and I saw that he was perfect and beautiful. And then, for no reason, my very next thought were of the men who would hurt me when I was a little girl. And I could realize for the first time that those men had also been perfect and beautiful. And someone else had turned them to monsters. And who better than me to have compassion? for what must have been done to those perfect babies. And I was free. Talk to me about your son. So that son, who was born not breathing, he, um, he, he was diagnosed um, 
with social anxiety, phobia, and depression after, when he was about 12, he turned to me and he said, Mom, I'm afraid all the time and I don't know why. So, I mean, my whole, my, my terror, oddly, man, because it was AA that saved me, man. Where was a girl like me going to go, you know? But if I weren't lucky enough to hit the lottery to be an alcoholic and then also to get AA, but I was terrified of them being alcoholic because, God dang, I know the odds. I know. So that boy went off to college and where he met the liquid demon and he is at the jumping off place. I've never seen someone last there so long. I can't believe he's still alive. And I used to text him maddeningly, you know. Here's what you should do. It hurt me when you, you know, just ridiculous bridge burning things. But for about the past 10 years, I've just, my sacred duty is to keep the bridge built. There's no greater service for me to do than to keep the bridge built between myself and Alcoholics Anonymous and that son who just may, just may come to his own maybe one of these days. Like I came to mine. And his little brother, the one I had when I was 15 years sober, same thing, drinks just like we did. So, oh gosh, um, what what else do you want to say about your relationship with your kids and what they have taught you spiritually over these years? And oh, yeah, I can totally talk to that. Um, one is totally not related to. They're drinking way before they even took the first drink. So I moved to the when I moved to the East Coast after undergrad, <clears throat> I uh, had this spiritual I don't know another word conversion like complete change where I entered walked up those steps one woman came down those steps a completely different woman and um, I was always vol I was single then I was volunteering every night I was um, uh, an active member of a, a uh, a spiritual group that I had joined. Um, so I was always doing something like that every night, um, doing these long meditative prayers in private and with groups. I mean, that was totally connected. God was right here all the time. I felt I got to live in that for a year and then still continue the action, of course. And then I had my boys and divorced that first husband and, um, <clears throat> I was a single parent then and moved to Illinois. And, um, I just couldn't, feel connected like I had been to the, my God, you know, and I kept saying, God, I can't go to, you know, the daily service anymore. How am I going to, I can't meditate for two hours anymore. What am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, how am I going to reach you, God? How am I going to reach you, God? And you know how little kids are, they're like right here at your face all the time. And so I'm like, how am I going to reach you? And I, and it's like, I opened my eyes and I just looked over at my little boy and I go, oh, oh, got it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. Understand. Um, so that was a big change. And <clears throat> the thing with my boys and their drinking um, and how they've just trashed their life, one of the first things that it gave me is um, my mother died when I had 18 years of sobriety and she had 20 years of sobriety. And I went to, you know, see her, um, you know, when she's dying, of course. And uh, 
She told me for the first time what it was like for her at the end of my drinking when I still lived with her. And she said she'd watch my back leave the house every night and she would ask herself, is this the night? And so long after my mother has been dead and now I'm living that way with my boys, I finally know what I did to my mother. And that has also helped, you know, because this journey of forgiveness and freedom it takes forever. And it's okay. It's how it rolls. That's okay. But that was another piece of, well, look what you did to her, Paula. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I learned lots of lessons with my boys. One of them was this whole idea of their life is not my life. Their success or not success is no token for me. They are their own gods just as powerful, just as resourceful, just as unique as is mine. And I used to be very gloomy about their prospects. But um, I think everyone AA in AA needs a trifecta, at least a trifecta. Three wise people. One is my sponsor, Polly. Another one is my friend, Carla R. Another one is my friend, Marty J., who lives near um, Vancouver. And one time Marty heard me speak and I said, you know, you're either living or dying from alcoholism. And I, so I can tell you that my sons are dying of, of alcoholism. And he calls me immediately and he's not really a big confronter. He says, your boys are not dying. Stop saying that. I'm like, you know, cause he's like, if all God is energy, then you're putting that out there. That's what you want to put out there. So now I say the words, God is going to save my sons. I don't, but here's what I know. I don't know what the words save me. It's not my business what that word means. So <laughs> that's the process. So you said um, <laughs> you mentioned your your second husband there, twenty five, I believe, yeah, I years. Yeah. Is that a boy meets girl on AA campus? Oh, that no. I- <laughs> oh no! So <clears throat> so I uh, my first husband and I divorced, and um, I had mostly been healed of the when I met him, I had mostly been healed of the need for a man thing. Um, and then, so I, so me and my first husband divorced, he moved far away. So I'm there with two boys in diapers and I was maybe 32 or something. A friend, she didn't mean anything badly by it. It's going to sound icky, but she didn't mean it badly. She says to me, do you think any guy, you know, is going to want to date you with two boys? And my full belief was this. And I said, any man would be lucky to have us or nothing. And I was clean and clear, clean and clear. I didn't, and I don't hate men. I love men. I I raised three of them and a marriage one, you know, (laughs) I got no, it's just, I don't, I'm good. I'm good. God is my best friend. I got sons. I, you know, so Yeah. (laughs) Good for you. And so, so what have, what's it been like? Uh, the How did you meet him? Mm, so, okay. Um, so I um, was active for a very long time in a spiritual community that I chose, converted to uh, when I was nine or 10 years sober. And um, a total uh, a product of that con- that experience I had on those steps. 
when I was nine years sober. And um, so we moved here, uh, two little boys, and I went to this spiritual community that's here. And I walked in, and it's like this cool act. I'm an activist in my community. You know, so it's this community like that. You know what I mean? So I become friends with these other people. And so I'm sitting with one and, and I've only been there like a month or two. And one of them looks at me, he goes, Hey, I just met this guy who's new to the community. Um, and he's looking to date. And he said, I don't know, you know, if you're interested in that or if you're even interested in men, but either way, I know somebody, <laughs> and I said, which is so cool. Right. And I said, um, so my, my first, I like almost had goosebumps. I go, Oh my God already. But which one is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and he's delightful. He's not an alcoholic by any means. He's just super supportive and patient and kind and introverted. And, and my sponsor Polly says there wouldn't be a Paula P if there weren't a Rick. Cause like I go speak, you know, I have to get to the airport by five in the morning. Who do you think's driving me there? He is. Yeah. He's picking me up at nine at night. He is yeah. Yeah. taking care of the very difficult rescue animals <laughs> while I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think I could hear one of those animals in the background a little <laughs> bit ago. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you start? speaking and, you know, traveling for AA, how did that come about? And do you enjoy it? Let me think. So the first time I got like actually flown somewhere was maybe 2010 or 2010 or something like that. Um, to the women's international conference and how it goes, as you know, is once you speak and then there's a CD, you know, and then, you know, so that's how that goes. And, um, uh, uh, it's my, I mean, I sponsor a lot of women, but, but and with, along with sponsoring, I would say that speaking is like how I give the most service, I guess, mm -hmm. um, to a though another way I think, uh, which so my sponsor you know she's um getting older though you'd never know it but she's taking care of her husband who is in ill health and my sponsor's like i mean the an amazing speaker just full of love and i mean everybody wants her to come speak for them but she has had to start saying no you know because it's at least $600 to have somebody come sit with her husband, that kind of thing. So I'm flying out there to sit, to be with him so she can go, which hundred percent best service work I can ever do for Alcoholics Anonymous is that work right there. So do you enjoy it for the most part? I, 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 I do enjoy it because I'm an extra extrovert, you know, and, um, and I love the rush of a, a conference. I love helping people. Um, it's tiring in a, an emotional way, but that's not a negative. It just is because I'm not lying. I get up there and I'm not lying at all. No. <laughs> like all out there. But uh, no, I, I think it's, I mean, I always say this, uh, I don't mean this as a shtick or anything, but my favorite part of the big book applies to this. And it's page 124 in the family afterwards where it says, cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. So I get up there and here's my dark past that should have killed me. Every, should have killed me. Statistically, should have killed me or put me in some prison for the rest of my life. Most of them, that's how it goes. But I got to come to you, man. 
Did you find that your schedule uh, during the pandemic? Uh, what, what? Just talk to me about it because I'm sure you got asked to speak at a lot of Zoom oh, meetings. Well, we How'd that go? It. I'm totally not. You know, we all, anybody, all did. So, um, so I live in Central Illinois. Two and a half hours from me is St. Louis, and a very close friend of mine who I I might cry. I might not, but anyway, because he's he's since passed of COVID. Mike McKay oh. is a taper um, oh. there, and he's he'd take me a couple times, you know, at live conferences before COVID hit. So we'd become friends. He's been here in my home a couple times. You know, he'd come up and tape my little conference, not mine, but our little area conference. And um, so the first week of lockdown, Mike reaches out to me and he says, hey, I think I found this format called Zoom. And I think we could pull a conference together on Zoom. He goes, will you speak on, you know, what step do you want? And will you help me find other speakers? I'm like, sure, sure. So that was the first Corona conference. And we did six more. They maxed out at a thousand people in the Zoom room. Um, we did two or three around the world conferences. Um, so just the service work of that—it's a lot. But how beautiful is that? And I'm telling you, I thought before lockdown, I would have said I am connected to the Worldwide Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, Lee, <laughs> 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 Lord, wow, right, right. But so, you know how, so, you know, so there were times and I'm don't, I don't, I mean, all of you, everybody is this way. There were times I was speaking two and three times a day. It, mm. it was a lot. It was a lot, but people were freaking out. You know, if I can give a voice to them, you know, if I can be a presence of something and plus, I mean, this is going to sound so weird, but I feel like it. If people ask me to speak, I feel like God's asking. Do you know what I mean? Or, or if they ask me to wash the dishes after the meeting, I feel like it's God asking. You know, whatever form of that. But I'm glad there's no more three days now. That was, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that could start to feel a little bit like a job when you're doing it three times it in a just, day. You know, yeah, a lot of emotion. That's all. I mean, right. I'm meeting people and. I don't know how those extroverted speakers pulled that off, but God <laughs> <laughs> bless them, man. It's harder on them. <laughs> so you are speaking to uh, quite a few people, and uh, all, many of them have are uh, new to a. They're trying. They're sober curious is the word they uh, use nowadays, right? I, love that. I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah, and they're trying to figure things out, uh, uh, and you know, this may be one of their first exposures to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, just to kind of, can you talk about your experience, strength, and hope? What you want to say about uh, Alcoholics Anonymous to kind of wrap it up, and in, in terms of, you know, if I were somebody kind of coming in new, hearing this for the first time, yep. what would your thoughts be? So. Uh- I came into these rooms thinking it was just one more institution on the block, just one more. But that's all. And Alcoholics Anonymous caught my eye because the people who were speaking in the meetings acted the same good way once the meeting was over. And I could spot a liar and I didn't find it here. So how I came to my first admission, beginning of my first step, which took me 
months and months. I was sober and living in AA meetings, but it took me months to really feel it. As I looked at AA and I could say, maybe me too. And it was the second step was the same word. My first second step was like, maybe. And that's all you got to do, man. That's all you got to do. Just say your own maybe. And it's not like something big's going to happen and then I'll change. Just make the decision. That's all. God will do the rest. And, and don't be overwhelmed by that God thing. I mean, look at me. I hated God. I thought God made me for a joke. But I found my own beautiful power of the universe. And that's waiting. One of those is waiting there for you too, man. Just start with maybe. That's all you got to do. You still have that California girl in you. Uh, when, you re- when you end all your sentences with man, I, I love know, it. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> That's not Nebraska. No. <laughs> well, so I guess this is your second podcast then, right? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. So, uh, I mean, what is this? <clears throat> what's the experience like versus, you know, doing a traditional Zoom or doing a, just kind of the same or what? Uh, it's a conversation I like. You know, it's nice. It's a conversation yeah. I like that. Yeah, like me and you sitting down having a cup of coffee Ooh. and talking about where you came from. Yep. I love it. Well, Paula, I am so glad that you accidentally reached out to me about, I don't know, nine months ago. Or something. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad. God brought us together and I really appreciate it. This has been a true pleasure. Uh, and I'm so glad that we got to come uh, meet each other. So uh, usually what I do, and I'm going to do it this time as well, is read from page 164 of the big book to... Um, Wrap us up. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Paula P. As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Paula, God bless you. And thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Paula P. Once again, my many, many thanks uh, for joining me and sharing your experience, strength and hope with all the folks listening in today. I enjoyed that very much, and I know the others are going to as well. If you enjoyed that as much as I did, will you please pause your device and hit that little share button? Not share like sunny and share, but share like, you know, share with somebody like sharing is good. What we teach our kindergartners and stuff like that. Anyway, hit that share button and uh, share uh, that episode or the entire podcast with a friend or a family member. Guess what? It may be just what they need today. If your heart speak, speaking to you right now and saying, you know, I need to share that with so-and-so. I know they'll get a lot out of it. Just Go ahead, go go ahead and get it all done. Thank you so much, everybody. Anyway, like a like a very much. Anyway, now we go on to why am I doing Elvis all of a sudden? I'm so sorry, everybody. Um, a little listener feedback. So this is not really. This was posted. So I started the episode here with a post by my friend Rick R in the Super Secret Facebook group. And by the way, if you are not in the Super Secret Facebook group and you are inclined, if you uh, have a hankering to, if you are thinking about joining it, just go to your Facebook application. And, and search for 
Or is that to slow down? Because I there's so many S's in this thing, you know, like she shall, she shall is by the she shore. But anyway, uh, if you go and you search in Facebook for secret Facebook group, it, even though we call it the super secret Facebook group, it's just secret Facebook group. If you search for, excuse me, sober speak secret group, I think is how it is. Just, I don't know, sober speak secret group. And uh, you go on there and you ask for admission into the the the, the group. Uh, we'll get you on in. It's a very low bar. Come on in. Anyway, this was also posted in the Facebook group. And so this same passage from the big book from page 82 was posted by both my friend Nelson and my friend Jason on the exact same day, like an hour apart. So I thought to myself, self, that must be the spirit of the universe talking to you. Perhaps you should share this passage on an upcoming episode. And I'm going to do that right now. So it was posted and it says... We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. And they both had, when I say they both, Nelson and Jason had some good commentary on that passage from the big book. Uh, If you want to go into the Facebook group and read that, you can, but... Once again, here was the line. I love just kind of single lines that have a lot of impact. And it is on page 82. It says, we feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. I love it. By the way, I don't think I've ever seen that word unthinking (laughs) except for in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't think I've ever heard it spoken outside of, you know, people reading this passage or anyway, but nonetheless, uh, unthinking. Uh, we feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. Now on to a little bit of a uh, more listener feedback. Robert writes in and the, the subject line was Lauren M. And he says, hello, John, my name is Robert and my girlfriend is currently in custody in Citrus County, Florida. Well, if your girlfriend is listening right now, I don't have her name, but I just want to give a big shout out to your girlfriend uh, listening uh, in Citrus County, Florida. So hello there. Anyway, he says she's been listening to your podcast and in episode number 68, she heard Lauren M. speak and she asked if I could reach out to you and see if it would be possible to reach out to Lauren and ask if she could even possibly sponsor her while she's in custody uh, or even even a letter. She found Lauren very inspirational, so much so that she has me writing you in an effort to possibly find a way to talk with Lauren. Uh, Thanks for any help in this matter. Well, um, as about 10 minutes before I started recording here, Robert, I, uh, I sent a, a note to uh, Lauren and I'm still, I'm just waiting to hear back from her. I'm sure it'll be no problem, but uh, I love that you wrote in and you're trying to uh, uh, assist your girlfriend there. Thank you very much. By the way, if you are wondering what, what episode is this uh, that they speak of? Well, it is episode number 68, as Robert said, and it's called Lauren M. Tweaker. 
finds gift of desperation. It was a great episode. I remember recording that with uh, Lauren. It's episode number 68. So it's like 200 episodes again, but uh, 200 episodes ago. Uh, but it was a real go-to, and I would uh, highly advise listening to that one. Peter writes in, and Peter says, Hi, John. I would like to thank you for your service and the bot- the podcast. I have been a friend of Bill W. since June 6th, of 1980. Oh, that was very close to the uh, June 10th. I'm sure you know that, Peter, uh, the birth date of Alcoholics Anonymous. But anyway, he says, I stopped drinking at the age of 24. I live in St. Thomas, Ontario. I like listening to your podcast while I am doing tasks around the house, like mowing the lawn. You seem to have a knack for finding very good speakers for both AA and Al-Anon. Keep up the good work of carrying the message. Well, thank you, Peter. You know, whenever I see, hear the word, whenever I see a Peter or I hear the word Peter, I always, I don't know, it seems to have a little bit of a British flair to it. The, the, the word, the name Peter and Peter, I know you're in uh, uh, Ontario, and I know that you can't see my hands what they're doing right now, but it's kind of like weaving together. I know that uh, Canada and Great Britain have a very uh, uh, close tie. I, I think uh, it was part. Uh, I think uh, I don't know the whole history there, but I think. But what, here's what I do know: whenever I go up to Canada, uh, there are so many like like the Queens. Uh, highway and all this there are a lot of british uh, references but i'm sorry i'm just i'm going away off the tracks but uh, anyway peter thank you so much for writing in sorry to uh, uh, bastardize your entire uh, um, <laughs> email that you wrote in with here I'm going on now. Joseph writes in and he says, Hello, John. Well, I have to say I am a fan of your program. I have been bouncing around from place to place for just shy of a month now. I've been sober for the same length of time as well. I messed up my life because I was too proud to admit I was falling deeper into a spiral and losing control. I finally hit my rock bottom and saw there was no way to keep going If I kept looking for comfort in the bottom of a bottle, I'm doing better now. And during my trips to my AA meetings, I stumbled across your podcast. And I have to say you and your guests continue to give me hope. The tales shared bring sadness and joy. And when some old guests come back on like David G, he's one of my favorites. I feel like I'm being visited by an old friend. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, Thank you for being of service to me and all that continue to take it one day at a time. Joseph, thanks, Joseph. I appreciate you. And I think I got you over to uh, Mr. David. Uh, Hopefully you all can uh, strike up some sort of relationship uh, of your own. All right. Stevie writes in and he says, good day, John. Now, where do you think Stevie's from? I am going to guess. Oh, yeah, I'm going to the end of this now. I'm reading this. He is from Australia, Perth, Western Australia. But, you know, okay, so I have to say that every time I see good day, I think to myself, self, do they use good day at all hours of the 24 hours that we are all giving for a day. In other words, if it's like 9 p.m. at night and 
you are greeting somebody, maybe you see them at a party or an event, or maybe did you? Maybe you're just at home and someone's coming home from work. Uh, do people say good day at all twenty four hours? Like in other words, like at night, do they say like I don't know, good night, or in the morning, do they say like good morning uh, or good evening, or is, is it always good day? Uh, I'm just curious about that. If somebody in Australia could let me know uh, what's going on during the uh, 24 hours of the day that there is, excuse me, the hours of the day where there is no sunshine, (laughs) I would appreciate it. Anyway, good day. Stevie writes in, Steve writes in, he says, good day, John. I stumbled across Sober Speak accidentally. Ah, what, uh, what a... What a force of nature. You and Sober Speak stumbling across each other. That is fantastic. He says, accidentally on Spotify, Spotify, about a week ago, and I love the format. I have the privilege of working for myself and by myself, so I put the headphones on whenever I can listen and listen uh, whenever I can and listen to AA speakers. I recently turned five, good for you, Steve, and have thoroughly enjoyed the ride on the sober coaster. (laughs) I like that. The ride on the, I guess we're all on the sober coaster, right, folks? Anyway, he says, it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) You got that. But it was such a relief at the age of 45 to finally find why, uh, to finally find, oh, to finally find what I was looking for all my life. After trying to do AA my way and trying to sponsor myself, trying to fill the God-shaped hole with finance and romance and kept slipping, I finally accepted powerlessness and have been sober ever since. Smiley Steve in Perth, Western Australia. Well, if anybody knows oh Smiley Steve out there in Western Australia, Perth, would you give him a little high five for me? And thank you so much, Smiley Steve, for writing in. Good day. I appreciate you writing in. Ashlyn dms on the instagram and she says thank you for what you do i'm in the program and i took a job in dallas but i live in fort worth and i've been listening to your podcast on the way to work uh on the way to work and they've gotten me through truly my meeting between meetings earl h rocked my world my entire immediate family has passed away as well and his and his new take on life was just so motivating that's cool she says i've also listened to sandy b uh are you able to recommend other ones that you highly recommend okay so i get this question quite a bit if you just go and not you if anybody wants to go to our website uh www.silverspeak.com in fact i'm going to go over there and make sure that i got this right there is a tab entitled top episodes okay so this tab is when it says top episodes it doesn't necessarily mean episodes that i personally think are the top episodes because they're all good to me but they're the top episodes from the last uh, 2021 2020 and 2019 and by top i mean it was either voted on by the listeners and or the most listened to so they're all on there and you can find that if you go to our website 
Ashlyn. Thank you for writing in. Carrie writes in and Carrie says, hi, John, your podcast means so big uh, capital letter so much to me. And I am grateful you were able to reach out to Earl H. Yes. Yes. Carrie, you're the one who wrote in at one point and, and mentioned something about Earl H and I knew about him, but I, I did a little bit more digging. I was able to get his contact info and I got him on the podcast. So thank you so much for, and you're not the only one, but you were the one, I, I think my friend. And Jim has also recommended that as, as some time in the past. But uh, for whatever reason, when you did it, I I actually decided to get off my tail and uh, go forth and try to find him. And, uh, I, you know, I love Earl. But anyway, and, uh, and have three amazing pro, uh, podcasts with him. Besides you, he is truly my hero. <laughs> well, I think you should lean more toward Earl, but I get it, Carrie. She says, I can't listen to his story enough. And that's exactly what Miss um, Ashlyn was talking about there just a moment ago. If you haven't heard Earl on the podcast, I would definitely go back and search for it. And so some of you ask, how do I find particular episodes by particular people? Well, once again, uh, so it's either two ways. Either you have a podcast player where you can search by name for the episodes like Earl, but if you don't have one of those, you can go to our website, and click on podcast, and there's a little um, search feature, a uh, little, you know, one of those little, um, I, what is it, a magnifying glass? Yeah, a magnifying glass, and you, so you click on that, and you and you search for the name that you're looking for, and the individual will pop up that you're looking for. So anyway, thank you for writing in. I appreciate you, Carrie. Um, Zach writes in, and Zach says... Hi, John M. I recently discovered your podcast on Spotify. I've really come to enjoy your podcast, and I absolutely appreciate the positive energy you're putting into the world. I grew up around alcohol and drugs in my, in my entire life. I began drinking when I was 13 years old. I always thought I was normal since alcohol was so common in my childhood. My family has always had problems with addiction, although I never understood addiction until my older brother passed away uh, at the age of 23 from a heroin overdose caused by fentanyl. I was 18 when he passed away. I'm sorry to hear that, Zach. He says, I began coping with drinking and drug use. It first started off as a social thing. So it does for many of us, but I soon fell into a strong drug and alcohol addiction. I've been struggling with my alcoholism for the past few years now, and it feels like I've lost all control. Every day I tell myself I'm not drinking tonight, but it's all I can think about all day. And it's the only thing I look forward to after work. Man, do I get that. Gosh, do I remember that, Zach. He says, often drinking by myself until I pass out. Waking up in a daze every morning and trying to get myself ready for work just to repeat the cycle again that night. Well, you were describing alcoholism, I, what do you say, in its purest form, I, I know I can relate. For anybody listening to this right now, Zach, I'm sure they can relate as well. But since I discovered your podcast, it has inspired me to look into AA. I've been looking 
uh, at online meetings near me and I tell myself that I'm going to make myself go to an actual AA meeting. But I talk myself out of it every time. Afraid of going into those meetings for the first time, I can't seem to find the courage. I need to reach out and make myself just do it. I want it, but I always end up just drinking instead. If you have any advice or encouraging words, it would be much appreciated. Once again, I love your podcast and I love what you're putting into the universe, sending prayers and good vibes your way, Zach. Well, Zach, my friend, as you know, I responded to you um, via email and I, I don't know if I have any advice for you, but what we're big on here and uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon and all the 12-step fellowships is, is sharing our experience, strength, and hope. Uh, it's all about attraction rather than promotion. And what I did um, is get you in touch with a good friend of mine named uh, Brad here in the area. And um, I'm hoping Brad and you can strike up a relationship. He can share some experience, strength, and hope with you and you can get on into that meeting and uh thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your story with the sober speak listeners as well i appreciate it keep me posted zach and that's it anyway okay love to all of you all um keep coming back it works if you work it i take this one week at a time i hope to be back next week and what else do I have? Oh, may God bless you and keep you until then. Be well. Um, talk to you next week, hopefully. Bye-bye.